3 John verse 4. We've been talking about, we've been in a series called All in the Family, talking about family and raising godly children, raising godly uh, families as godly parents. And following the word of God, following the teachings of the Bible as it pertains to raising our children. And we've talked about different areas and different things, and there are some parts of uh, raising children, and there are some thoughts and ideas that kind of don't fit into one little niche or, or a theme. So these next two weeks, we're going to be uh, talking about, uh, I, was, I was laughing with Aaron, I pointed out the title of my sermon up there. It's kind of a long one. Some relevant thoughts about godly parenting in today's environment. And they're going to be kind of disjointed, not necessarily connected, but individual thoughts that I'm going to cover that families today deal with, Christian families have to deal with, and how the Bible says we can deal with them. If you'd stand with me as we read God's Word this morning, our text throughout this series has been 3 John verse 4. The one thing I haven't said about this verse is that when I started in youth ministry, none of your business years ago, this text, this was my ministry verse. As I dealt with teenagers, as I started working with teenagers, my prayer was that through the years, when I heard about kids that were in my youth ministry, I would hear that they were still following Jesus Christ, that they were still walking in truth, that things were happening in their lives and they were affecting the lives of others in a positive way. And that's what I pray for for my children as well. Let's read 3 John verse 4. I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in truth. You may be seated. Building a church is a lot like building anything else. You need the right materials. You need the right knowledge. You need investment. You need time. But most of all, you need willing builders. No church ever gets built with half-hearted, sometimes there, sometimes not. Criticizing, finger-pointing, less than committed, I know better than everyone else, workers. In fact, all that does is retard the growth of that church and frustrates the advancing work of the kingdom of God. America is in spiritual decline. That's no, uh, that's no surprise. That's no great <laughs> revelation. America is in spiritual decline. In fact, the American Evangelical Church is in great decline. Among the 20-somethings uh, in the last six years, America has lost more than 10% in just six years, more than 10% of that age group, America's evangelical churches. That comes from both statistical analysis and anecdotal evidence from other pastors. Most churches are struggling to get people to come back since the pandemic. Uh, attendance numbers aren't up. And in fact, church growth experts say that most churches can expect a 20% decline in their attendance permanently because of COVID. We're a long way from a national revival. We're a long way from consistent growth naturally and nationally in the church. The younger generation is bailing on the church because of our stands against sin. They'll call it culture wars, but it's all about sin. When we won't bow to the will of the culture, when we won't fall in line with the narrative that's being pushed in the media by entertainment and sports stars, when we won't jump on board with uh, anybody's political ideas, when we go overboard, when we won't go overboard or we go overboard, which too many Christians do politically, go overboard to prove how radical we can be, we're branded speakers of hate speech who don't love our neighbors. When we preach against sin and sinful lifestyles and preach for godliness and holiness, we're branded as old-fashioned and out of touch. The gospel we preach and teach is accused of being not applicable or not adaptable to our society in modern times, so it's thrown out all the while being replaced with illogical misinterpretations and bad applications of Scripture. If you don't understand that, if you don't believe me on that, if you just think I'm blowing smoke when it comes to those kind of things, we can sit down and have a conversation about some of the new theological ideas. And I can show you and take you to websites and uh, pages where 
this, these theological thoughts—they're so bad, and they're so—they're they're so illogical, and they're so, their, their interpretations are so bad that most of them don't even use scripture. They knock the Bible and then don't use scripture to back up what they have to say. And this is what our young people today are flocking to. When a young person says to you, uh, "This is what the Bible says," they and and they're against the church and they're against evangelicalism. They're against. Uh, reaching people with the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that's usually the kind of thing they're talking about. The cultural attitudes in America are not just influencing our young people, they're also influencing many strong religious leaders. And it's influencing them to change biblical theology and replace it with palatable, culturally progressive stands that please those who want acceptance but undermines the truth of our message. And within the church, we're killing ourselves. We're criticizing, complaining, finger pointing, and lazying our way into extinction. For many church members, if it can't be done their way, then they'll just walk away or not get involved rather than get in line and get the job done. This is not the way we've learned how to serve Jesus. This is not the way to build a church. This is not the way to sustain growth. This is not the way that Christians and godly families act. Churches are not built at your convenience. Churches are not built on excuses. Churches are built by consistent sacrifice and commitment by all of the members. It's the same for families. It's the same for godly families. The reason I went on that dissertation about how to build a church is because throughout this entire series, I've told you that godly churches, strong churches are built on godly families. We can't expect to build a solid, strong church if we're not going to invest in godly families and building godly families. And building godly families doesn't just mean you do the things right in the home. Building godly families means that you take the Bible and apply it to your lives. And whether, I'll just say it this way because I've already gone down this road, whether you like it or not, the Bible says that you are supposed to be actively involved and faithful to your local church. And that means that you need to show your children that church is more important than anything else. Now, I'm not going to go into a list of things that church is more important than. I'll just say this. Church is at the top of the list. And if you can't define that for yourself, then we can have that conversation. These positive qualities, materials, knowledge, investment, and willing builders all begin with strong godly parents building strong godly children in strong godly homes. No church can long survive without the sport of godly families. Two quotes that we've been using throughout this series, one by Andy Stanley, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise is so true. And the other one by Dr. Tony Evans, it's far easier to shape a child than to repair an adult. As we approach the end of our series, All in the Family, as I said, we're going to be exploring some of what I think are relevant thoughts, things that I've read about, read about constantly, uh, dealing with churches and, and church members, practical anecdotal things that I've had to deal with in ministry, conversations from other pastors, what they're facing and what families in their churches are facing. Kind of talk about them a little bit so that we can have a, a fuller understanding of what it is that we face. Because as I said in my opening, we're told that the Bible isn't applicable to today's society. We're told that the Bible is out of date. That the Bible was written during a time where culture was not what it is today. And that, in, in, in order to understand how wrong that is. You must understand that the Bible is not a rule book. The Bible is a book of principles. The Bible is a book of life application. How many of you own the life application Bible? Yeah, a lot of people have a life application Bible in whatever, uh, according to whatever translation it is that you use. Life application Bible is one of the most popular study Bibles out there. Why? Because it takes the principles that are taught in the Word of God and applies them to your life. Listen, the Ten Commandments were written three, over 3,000 years ago, 
But stealing then is still stealing today. So thou shalt not steal still means the same thing today that it did 3,000 years ago. Thou shalt not commit adultery means the same thing today that it did 3,000 years ago. You see, you just have to put away your prejudice and your anger and your arrogance and your pride and put it to, to the side and say, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me through your word and how can I apply that to my life today? That's biblical. Bible says to pray and ask God to show you how to use and apply that word to you today. So that's what we're going to do over these next two uh, Sundays. Just like building a church and winning your family, friends, and neighbors to Jesus, building a family and raising godly, successful children takes enormous commitment and sacrifice. Today, to successfully raise a family in today's environment, there are serious challenges that you must deal with. <laughs> I used to say, I have a real, real soft spot in my heart for parents who are raising children in today's environment. And I prayed for them because I was beyond that, and then I'm not. So I know what it's like trying to raise children today. I know what it's like, I know what you face, not just in society, but what comes into the home, whether you want to or not. If you, if you think society doesn't come into your home, then you're just not paying attention. You would have to cut off all communication with the outside world uh, and, and homeschool your kids and not let them out of their bedroom to, for them not to be influenced in some way by society. So these challenges are great. There's no particular order and not necessarily these, these things we're gonna talk about don't necessarily connect together. They're just random thoughts and challenges that we're facing as godly parents attempting to raise children in today's society. The first one is this. And I think this is relevant for our older, uh, our more seasoned parents, those who have been raising children for many years, okay? And it's this, you cannot judge your success as a parent by the life your adult child has chosen. You cannot judge your success as a parent by the life your adult child has chosen. Why do I say this? Why is this important? Because there are so many parents today that look back with regret and say, if I'd have only done this, if I'd have only done that, if I didn't do this, if I didn't do that, then maybe, just maybe, this wouldn't have happened or that wouldn't have happened. When in truth, you are not to blame, unless, unless you were an ax murderer, <laughs> you are not to blame for what your adult child is choosing to do. You're not to blame for what your adult child is choosing, how they're choosing to live. Understand this, and this is for younger parents as well right now. You are not commanded to make them successful followers of Jesus Christ. And that's where we fail. That, that's, I think, where, that's the disconnect, I think, that many of us have. We think that we're commanded to make sure our children are successful and great followers of Christ. And if they don't fulfill the prayers we've had for them, then we're failures. When that's just not true. You're never commanded to make your children successful followers of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 22, 6, we say this all the time. We've used this verse in our, in our series a couple times. Start a youth on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. And we've been told down through the years, and we've been guaranteed that if we raise up a child in the way he should go, if we train them in the Word of God, if we train them in the Bible, if we not indoctrinate, inculcate them, if we just infuse the Word of God into them, if we make sure that they're, uh, they're the East Coast distributor of involved in the youth group, if, every, if everything we do just pours into our child, then it's a guarantee that our kids are going to follow Jesus Christ. And that's not what that verse says. That verse says that if you train your children in the Lord, your children will always have something to come back to. And if your child chooses to come back to Jesus Christ, they will come back to what you've raised them in. 
It's no guarantee that your children are going to make the right choices. It's no guarantee that your children are not going to fall on hard times and difficult times. It's no guarantee that your children are not going to get into sin and choose lifestyles that you don't like and you don't agree with. It's a guarantee that there will always be that voice behind them saying, this is the right way to go. And there's always a place for them to return to, just like the prodigal son had a home to come back to. Jesus taught us that story of the prodigal son. And I think he taught us, and I believe with all my heart, that Jesus taught us the story of the prodigal son because as parents, our hearts are broken. I won't ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have adult children who have broken your heart? Because I'd have to raise my hand too. Jesus taught us the story of the prodigal son to give us hope that somehow, someway, someday, our adult children that walk away from the faith that we preached to them, that we taught to them, that we poured into them, will someday, by the grace of God, turn back to him. But folks, don't ever let your spiritual growth and your joy be destroyed because your adult child doesn't choose to follow Jesus Christ. Don't let them rob you of the greatness and the power and the passion of serving Jesus Christ and following him and reaching others with the gospel. And I know that sounds hurtful and painful and it's difficult to take. But if you are going to continue to follow Jesus Christ, you've got to understand that your adult children are responsible for their own choices. You're commanded to raise them with the scriptures as a foundation and point them in the right direction. You're to teach them principles such as Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Why do you think we teach and preach against sin? Against societal changes, against the watering down of scripture? Because Satan is after your child's heart. Satan is after your child's life. He wants to destroy your children. He doesn't play fair. He's not a nice guy. He wants to destroy. In fact, the Bible says that Satan only comes, his only mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his desire for your child. So when you water down the gospel, or if you overlook things that are happening in the life of your child and influences are coming into the life of your child, maybe throughout this series you've looked at me and you've said, geez, Pastor John, you're out of your mind. Those things that you're talking about, are you kidding me? I would be a pariah in my neighborhood. Well, get in line. Not allowing my children, making sure I make sure that my children are, being, are hanging out with the right people and not allowing bad influences in my kid's life. Are you crazy? I don't want to be the, the person, I don't want to be the parent that the principal hates to hear the phone call from. Why not? I don't want to be the, the parent that the teacher just can't stand having at parent-teacher night. Why not? Isn't your child's life worth that much? Isn't your child's very spirit, isn't your child's very future in Christ worth the bad reputation you may get from others? Simply because you desire to stand on truth and raise your child with truth? You're commanded to raise our, your children with a strong biblical foundation. And many times, most times nowadays, that means going against the culture. 2 Peter 2.19. Man, if you want a verse to challenge your children in, and some of you know what this verse means practically in your lives because you've lived this, this passage of Scripture. 2 Peter 2.19. For by uttering boastful empty words they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery, people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. They promise them freedom. And I put my, my notes out of order, I think. But they themselves are slaves of corruption, since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. Let me ask you this. 
Is your standing in the community and your reputation with your friends so valuable that you'd be willing to allow your children to be enslaved by different things that are being allowed in their environment? Go ahead and let your child hang out with the kids that go to parties and go ahead and make sure, go ahead and let your children hang out with those whose parents don't really care what their kids do and those who provide alcohol and things at, at parties for underage kids. Go ahead and see what happens to your child. And have your heart broken, not because your child is leaving you to go to the mission field. Have your heart broken because you're sending your child off to, uh, to rehab, to get clean, because you didn't think it was okay. You didn't think it was a, you, you thought it was too much on you to make sure your child didn't hang out with the wrong crowd. Go ahead. I've visited kids, I've visited young people, 14, 15, 16 year old kids in lockdown. It's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. Folks, your responsibility is to give them a godly foundation. And if you don't think Satan is after your child, you're just not paying attention. <clears throat> Their life choice and worldviews are choices that they have to make. And they will be held accountable for those choices. That's probably the hardest thing to realize and accept as a parent. Now, I, I jokingly, you know, say that... Um, you, if, if you're going to live in my house, if you're going to grow up in my house, you have to be a Dodgers fan. It's a law. It's a chase law. Okay? And I'll be honest, I do my dead level best. We don't want, the Red Sox aren't on our TV. Usually, not because I don't like the Red Sox. Um, although we did have the guy last night, we, we ordered out last night. And uh, the, the manager, no lie, this is off the, uh, this is off the, uh, just a side note. The man, the owner of the restaurant we ordered from, we were talking about, um, we were talking about, he, he saw my, my debit card. My debit card has, is, has a Dodgers logo on it. God sent it to me. And, and he says, oh, the Dodgers, huh? And I said, yeah. He said, oh, they're having a good year. And I said, yeah. And, and I knew he was, he said, we gave you Mookie. Like, well, thank you. Thank you for Mookie. Appreciate that. And I said, well, the Red Sox are having a good year too. He said this. He said, well, it's all about the manager. He's a cheater, but he's a good coach. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Well, we could go into hall. We could go into what that means, but we're not going to. But, but in my home, I I say that. And last night, you know, Aaron decided to go up and go to bed. So what came on the big screen? Dodgers, Dodgers, Rockies. Gabriel and Michael were sitting there where three of us are watching the Dodgers and Rockies together. And that's great. And I want my sons to love baseball. I hope they love baseball. I hope they follow the Dodgers. Uh, that, that's great. But I'm not going to consider myself a failure if they don't. I know that when my son, my two youngest sons grow to the age where they make their own choices, they're going to have to make their own choices. And they're going to have to make their own decisions. And as much as it will break my heart if they choose to do something other than following Jesus Christ, no matter what they choose as a career, if they choose to follow anything other than Jesus Christ in their life, it will break my heart. But I know that it's their responsibility and I can't answer for them. And folks, you need to understand that your adult children are responsible for their own choices. And if it's holding you back, if it's breaking your heart, if it's keeping you from serving God to your fullest by the guilt that you feel by not being a better parent that you think you could have been, give that to God. Because it's not your fault if your adult child chooses to follow something other than Jesus Christ. Corey Tembroom. Tenboom said, hold everything in your hands lightly. Otherwise, it hurts when God pries your fingers open. Make sure that you don't fall into the trap of justifying your adult child's sinful choices and lifestyle just because you want to keep that relationship with them. 
That is validating their sin and compromising your faith. You're a follower of Jesus first. And I know that is tough to hear. I know that some of you might say, Pastor John, I, I just don't agree. I just don't agree. Okay. I, my challenge is not to take my word for it. My challenge to you is to dig into the scriptures and, and dig that out and ask yourself, do you think your parents are failures for the choices that you made as an adult? Because it can't be both, okay? Stop letting your adult children's choices destroy your spirit. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Joshua 24, 15. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today which you will worship. The gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. Choose for yourselves. That applies to your adult children. Don't let their choices destroy your joy and walk with Jesus Christ. But even all of that, even in all of that, even if you can get a handle on that, understand this, no matter what, you are always tasked with praying for them. You are always tasked with praying for your adult children. Stormy O'Martian in her book, Power of a Praying Parent said, we all need to understand that we can't fix or change our adult children. Only God can make changes that last in anyone. Our job is to release our adult children into God's hands and then pray. That's your job, parents. That's your job when it comes to adult children. It's not your job to oversee everything and every choice they make. It's not your job to to ride them and deride them and browbeat them when they make a bad choice. It's your job to pray for them now, to release them to God and to pray for them and ask God in his mercy and his grace to draw your children back to him. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Your adult children need your prayers. The second thing, second random thought is this. You can be successful in a blended family. You can be successful in a blended family. I'm here to tell you, it's not easy. Sometimes it can seem impossible, and sometimes it just won't happen. But you can be successful in a blended family. Divorce is brutal, and it presents immense challenges. Divorce is a brutal thing to go through, and it presents unbelievable, enormous challenges in many different areas of life. Many times it takes both members of that marriage out of church completely, thereby taking any children out of church to itself, uh, any, any children in that family out of church themselves, and also damaging and harming that local church. But life does go on, and I don't mean to minimize that, but life does go on, and it has to go on. And God can not only heal you, but give you a better life than you had. God can not only heal your broken heart, God can not only heal your broken life, He can give you a better life than you had. One of the most incredible truths that I see in the life of Job, and we look at Job and we talk about Job's suffering and Job's physical suffering and everything that he lost, but I don't think we really, we all, I don't think we always focus and truly focus and understand that Job lost children that day. Job lost children. Those who he raised, those who he poured himself into, he lost children that day. Yet the Bible says the second half of Job's life was greater than the first half. How does that happen? How does it happen that you go through such incredible struggle and incredible tragedy in your life? Yet God can bless the second half of your life greater after the tragedy than the beginning of your life. 
It's because Job focused on God. And God will bless your life and bless the second half of your life and bless your second family greater than your first family if you will go to him and pray and commit and follow and make sure that you do what he has called you to do and not what you choose to do all the time. Now, for those of you who may be single, those of you who may be contemplating marriage, even if you've already remarried and remarried into a, a blended situation, it may be late, it, well, if you've already married into that situation, it is too late to have the conversation before, but you need to think about having the conversation about stepchildren and what your role will be in that family. If you are not the biological father or biological mother and you're going to be a step-parent, especially those of you who have, are marrying someone who has younger children, children who are still in the home, God help you if you have, if you're marrying someone who has teenagers, okay? Because that's just a whole ball of wax that is tough. But if there are still children in the home, you would be wise to have the conversation about stepchildren and your role in the family. Well, I'm going to be their father. I'm going to be their mother. Think so? <laughs> yeah. Maybe. And maybe not. You see, you may, you may have all the intentions and you may, I've talked to some dads who married into families and like, they have literally said to me, well, I'm going to whip those kids into shape. Okay. You go, Skippy. We'll see. We'll see. Kids' stubborn will is a whole lot stronger than your, uh, your stubborn will many, many times. One thing seriously you need to understand is that just because you married that child's parent doesn't automatically make you that child's parent. And I know people, oh, that's not true. That's not, okay, all right. Think what you want, but it doesn't. A title doesn't mean a truth. But I will say this, it takes work. It takes commitment, it takes dedication, it takes humility. <laughs> Many times it means taking insults, taking anger, and it's not necessarily directed, it's not necessarily meant for you, it's directed at you, but it's not about you. If you are going to be successful in a blended family with younger children, I'm not talking about older children, older children is a whole new, whole new thing. You don't have to take, listen, you don't wanna take anything from the older kids, they're adults, you know, that's, that's between you and them. But kids in the home, you better be willing to deal with a lot of guff and a lot of grief if you are going to be successful. Just remember this, though. Jesus had a stepfather. Jesus had a stepfather. Joseph wasn't Jesus' natural dad. Yet Joseph did such an amazing job of raising Jesus that when people referred to Jesus, when Jesus was out in the community ministering and serving, people said, isn't this the son of the carpenter? They referred to Jesus as Joseph's son. So Joseph must have done something amazing. Joseph must have committed to the job that he was called to do. So there is a possibility, there is a way to become a strong parent, a strong influence in the lives of your stepchildren. You just have to commit to it. You just have to work towards it. Don't force yourself into the family. Be upfront with your spouse and their children. Leave it in God's hands and follow the direction of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 30, 21 says, 
And whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear the command behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Don't force your way into a kid's life. Do your best and let them come to you. It's probably not going to happen at, the, at, at first, but you can be successful. How can you be successful as a godly step parent? How can you be a successful godly step parent? The first thing I would advise you to do, first biblical principle is this. Find some good examples and follow them. Find some good examples of parenting. Good exam find some good step parents who have done it well and follow them. You know, that's what support groups are all about. Whether they're done right or not, the whole premise of a support group or the whole premise of a small group Bible study, small group in church that gets together, that's the premise of it, to find examples of people you can emulate. To find examples of others who have been successful at what you're trying to be successful at and follow their lead. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are, have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. No matter what you do, keep your eyes on Jesus. The second thing is this, have patience, self-control, and endurance. It's not going to happen overnight. Some of you, I, uh, once again, I won't ask you to raise your hand. Some of you are products of blended families. So you know what it's like being the child. And you know the attitude that you as a child have towards that interloper who's coming into your life and saying, I'm going to be replacing that person. And you may not, they may not say it out loud, but that's exactly how a kid interprets it. They're the one replacing my father. They're the one replacing our mom, my mom. Listen, I love, I, and I'm, I'm speaking as a child here. I love my mother. I love my father. I'm not the one that wanted to get divorced. You got divorced. Don't bring this person to my life now. I didn't want to, I didn't choose, I didn't choose him. You chose him. Do you know what he's like, Ma? Look at him. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? That's the best you can do? <laughs> People kids say that. That's the best you can do? Have patience, self-control, and endurance. Remember the advice of Proverbs 15.1, a, a gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Sometimes you have got to bite a bloody tongue. Oh, I can't let that, I can't let that go. Sometimes you need to learn to fight another day. And there's so much anger and hurt built up in the life of a child, in the heart of a child, that sometimes you just need to let them explode so they can get it out and not come back at them. Third thing I would say to you is this, don't expect overnight miracles. Don't expect overnight miracles. Isaiah 28, 10 says, for it will be precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Be willing to allow it to take its course. Here's just a, just a piece of wisdom that I've learned in dealing with these situations as a pastor. Work with the child's bio parents Respect them and honor them, if you can. Respect and honor their authority, if you can. There are situations where it's not possible. We adopted two boys, that's no secret. And there's no way in, there's no way in the history of the earth that I would ever allow, Aaron and I would ever allow their bio parents to have any part of their lives. One of the, one of the toughest things we've had to do was about two weeks ago, Gabriel and Michael asked the question, um, I forget what we were watching, but it was about adoption. And Michael, you could tell, Michael's wheels just turned. And you could tell, and Michael said, well, 
when we look in the mirror, how do we know who we look like? So I knew what he was asking. And I'm a troll on Facebook with, with people. So I pulled up their pictures. I'm not threatened by that. I pulled up the pictures of their bio parents and I showed it to them, Aaron and I both. We showed it to them, they looked at it. Gabriel looks a lot like his bio mom. Michael looks a lot like his bio dad. They have two older brothers, most of you don't know that. They have two older biological brothers and a younger biological sister. And Gabriel and Michael are twins, but they don't, they don't look much alike. But Michael has a little bro, a, an older brother who's about a year older than him that looks, him and Michael could be twins. They saw those pictures and they looked at them and they looked at us and they're like, okay. Never said anything more about it. I'm not threatened by that. I'm their dad. She's their mom. They're not going anywhere. They're not choosing anybody over me. But they need to know the truth about their life so that they can make good choices as they grow up. Now, you better be sure that I'm not making their biological parents into heroes, right? I'm not making them into heroes. And you don't have to do that if you go into a blended family. You don't have to make the biological parents heroes if they're not. But if you want to be successful, you will honor and respect the fact that they do have biological parents. And if they are valuable and if they are okay to have in the life of those children and your spouse says okay, then you, will honor their, you should honor their authority as well. Because you want your child, you want the child who you are trying to influence for the good to have a good example to follow in you. Understand that you have to realize that you're not replacing anybody. Don't try to be the cool friend or the cool confidant, because that's just a road you don't want to go down. Just be yourself and accept the role that's presented to you. You have to earn that child's respect. Whether you like that or not, you have to earn their respect. And I would say this as well. Make sure that there's at least one mature person in the relationship. Make sure that there's just at least one person in that relationship. And if it's a six-year-old kid, it should probably be you. Treat them with respect, love, and understanding because you can win the day. Micah 6.8 says, Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what, is the, what it is the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. But you must also accept the possibility, and this is a tough one, you must also accept the possibility that you may never be accepted by your stepchildren. You may never be accepted by your stepchildren. If you've done your best, it's not on you. You have to be okay with that. Because the last thing you want is for a rejection of you to keep you from following Jesus Christ. Quickly, the last random thought that is relevant I'm going to mention is this. And I think this hits home for so many of us. And it's so true. And it's been taught against from pulpits in America. I've heard messages against this. I live this truth. My wife and I live this truth. And I've heard it preached against. Anyway, let me just get to it. Mental health and disabilities are real. Mental health struggles and disabilities are real, and they need to be addressed in light of Scripture and knowledge. In light of Scripture and knowledge. Let me explain. First of all, you and your child are okay. You aren't defective. Understand that. If you or your child has a mental, mental struggle, mental health issue, 
or a physical disability or an emotional or mental disability, you are not defective. You're okay. You're okay. Psalm 130 verse, 139 verse 14 says, I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made unless I have ADHD. <laughs> oh, wait, it's not there. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. You see, you and your child are okay. You're not defective. We're all broken in some way. Some are just more visible than others. Some are just more socially relevant or socially obvious than others. Understand this, creation is fallen and we are all part of creation. Creation is fallen. We're all part of creation. That means that the things that you struggle with in life, the physical, the emotional, the mental struggles you have are due to the fall, not because of any defect in you. Paul said in Romans 8, verses 18 through 22, for I consider the sufferings of this present time. Wait a minute. Paul said that? Paul talks about the sufferings of this present world. For I consider the sufferings of this present world are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. For the creation eagerly waits in it with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. We're all broken in some way. We all struggle in some way. We all have difficulties in some way. You are not defective. Your child is not defective. Autism and ADHD are real things, and Christian families struggle with them. Please, let me just say this, because I am not a medical professional. I don't play one on TV. Make sure that any condition is truly diagnosed by a medical mental health professional and not family or friends. Everybody's somehow got their degree from WebMD lately. Everybody can diagnose everything for you. Well, you know what? <laughs> Don't trust it. <laughs> Make sure you see the right people and get that diagnosis. Please, Christian, don't be afraid to consult a professional. I've heard pastors preach from the pulpit that you just have to pray those disabilities away. No, you don't. Hopefully in just a couple months, I'm gonna let some doctor cut my hip wide open and take a diseased, damaged hip out and put a beautiful, titanium, shiny, new hip in. And I'll eat sushi if, they, if, that, if that's what needs to be. I don't know, I'm just kidding. But I'm gonna let them do it. Why? Because I'm tired of pain. I'm tired of limping. I'm tired of not being able to do things that I should be able to do at the young age of 58. I'm not nearly old enough to be broken down. I believe in medical science. If I didn't, I wouldn't have as much metal in me as I do now. Those are obvious defects in my body. You can see this, I can show you the scars. I won't, but I can. Some of you struggle with things that you, you're embarrassed by. Some of you struggle with things you try to hide. There is help and there is hope. You can get 
medical help and spiritual help at the same time. In fact, God can lead you to the right professional to get the work and the help you need. I'll be a little more transparent. I have struggled with weight for 58 years. Those of you who can eat whatever you want and nothing happens to you, curse you, Batman, okay? I can't, I can't look, I can't walk by, I don't even walk down the cookie aisle in the grocery store. Because I don't have to buy them, I just have to be within their, the, the range of osmosis. And it just kind of seeps into my body. I'm tired of struggling with it. I gotta be honest with you, I'm tired of, how many of you that don't struggle with weight enter on your phone every day, everything you put into your mouth? I do, I've got two different apps for that. I'm tired of it. So I'm gonna let them cut my stomach out. Hopefully sometime in September or October, I'm gonna go in there with a smile on my face and say, Doc, cut me, Mick, right? Cut that stomach out so I'm not hungry, so I can eat, so I can lose weight. Because I got a young wife who wants to go to the beach and I need to be there to beat off those knuckleheads who are gonna be trying to steal her away from me. My point is this, God has given humanity wisdom and understanding about the human body. And that includes the mind. We are learning, by the way, that those of you who suffered trauma as a child, it does just, just doesn't give you bad memories. If you suffered trauma as a child, it literally rewires your brain, literally rewires your brain. And in fact, the human mind has been designed by God in such a way that it stops at trauma. I've used this illustration before. For those of you who are fishermen, you may have caught a, I don't know, is that a big size for a trout, anybody? Okay, if you catch a trout that big, suddenly when you tell that story at parties, it becomes, I fought a marlin on a rowboat and I finally reeled that bad boy in. But unfortunately, as I was sailing back to shore, the sharks came and, oh wait, that's the old man in the sea. <laughs> book, that's a book story. Anyway. Good memories get better over time and we elaborate and sometimes exaggerate. But with trauma, God has designed the brain to stop at that point. And children who have suffered trauma, adults who have suffered trauma, can relate the incident and the situation the same today as when it happened 10, 20 years ago. That's my grandson Jack out there. Because God has designed our minds to stop at trauma until it's dealt with. Our brains are rewired. There is help for that. There's counseling for that. But sometimes you even need medication. And medication that will fill in the gaps and close the openings or open those things that are closed so that you can be the best version of who you should be. Because your body doesn't produce enough of the proper uh, enzymes or hormones or whatever it is that it's not producing. Don't be afraid. Christians struggle with suicide. Christians struggle with addiction and other mental health issues. If you don't think so, go read the story of Elijah when he ran into the wilderness and he just wanted to die. Go read the story about Jonah, who even though God sent him to preach repentance to Nineveh and Nineveh repented, Jonah wanted to die because he thought Nineveh should have been judged. That's a mental health issue. It's not a sin to struggle with mental health. Maybe you've been told that it's sin in your life. Remember when Jesus healed an individual 
And they took him to the temple, they took that individual to the temple, and they said, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, nobody sinned. This individual had this malady in their life so that God would get the glory. Sometimes, folks, God allows what is wrong in your body to be revealed so that you can get, first of all, the help you need. Secondly, he can be lifted high and people can see exactly what God can do in a life. God knew life would be stressful, so he gave us a plan to follow and advice to heed in order to deal with the mental stress we face. Second, uh, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. There is deliverance, there's healing in one form or another. In one form or another, God can give you deliverance and healing. Listen, right now, I, uh, I, I had a, an endoscopy and it revealed so many ulcers because since 1983, when I destroyed my knee, I've been taking Motrin and Aleve all that time, not knowing that it was just destroying my stomach. I was just a couple months away from having stomach cancer, which is a five year death sentence. And they, the doctor said, hey, stop taking the Aleve. <laughs> I said, okay, put me on Prilosec. The Prilosec is healing my stomach so that I can have the surgery that I need to have. I praise God. I praise God for that. I shout that from the rooftops. I would much rather wait a few months to have a surgery that I need than to have to break the news to my wife that in five years or less, I'm not gonna be around anymore. You see, God revealed his power through medical professionals. Luke 4.18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release of captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You can overcome your struggles. Sometimes a blend of the power of God and commitment to him and the right medication can make all the difference. Oh, Oh, Pastor John, I know some people watching on Facebook might be shutting it off right now. Listen, folks, God has given us wisdom. God has given us understanding. God has given us medical technology. My father is still here. Many of you have parents that are still alive today because of medical technology. They should have died years ago, humanly speaking. But God allowed the wisdom that he has given to humanity to sustain us through the years. You can overcome your struggles. There is victory in all these things. Romans 8, 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. God can provide your healing. And sometimes that healing involves modern medicine and technology. In Luke 5, 3, you say, well, John, Pastor John, where's the scripture for that? Because that just sounds like Ridiculous stuff. Luke 5.31. By the way, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts, who traveled with Paul, you know what Luke was? A doctor, a physician. Paul had a doctor travel with him. Luke 5.31. Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Jesus said sick people need a doctor. Okay. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus wants to heal everything. Really? Okay. Jesus himself said, sick people need a doctor. We're not going to go into that. We're not going to have time. 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul told Timothy, now be careful, those of you who are hardcore fundamentalists here might not like this. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little Welch's grape juice. <laughs> Sorry. That says... Use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. I didn't say that, the Bible did. And if you study that verse out, study that word wine out, it means fermented, the fermented stuff, okay? I don't drink, I don't partake in that, I'm the perfect designated driver. Um, but there are medicinal purposes. Same thing with, uh, should I say marijuana? from the pulpit? Oh, I just did, sorry. It's a, crea it's a natural created substance by God, from God. Folks, it's medicinal. And, and don't go out and say, well, I'm using it for medicinal purposes and you just want to get high. Come on, 
there are reasons for it. Okay, and I believe that, I believe that. Did you know that some of the drugs that you're prescribed for pain are much worse than what people light up? <laughs> okay, <laughs> just don't smoke it while you drive because I'm tired of smelling skunk all over Springfield. <sighs> Luke 10 verses 33 and 34, but a Samaritan on his journey came upon him and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds he didn't just say, hey, be healed. <laughs> he bandaged his wounds. He poured on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him on to an inn and took care of him. Listen, no matter what you think about what I've said here this morning, I've just shared with you what the Lord has laid on my heart, what I think is very relevant and very needed in the church today. I know I've needed it in my life. I've had to prove these things in my life over the years, especially that last point. Understand this, no matter what, Jesus created you, he loves you, and you are enough. Even if you aren't healed from your issue, you are enough. It doesn't mean if you don't receive healing, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean you don't matter to him. God not granting your prayer in your way does not mean he doesn't care about you. It just means that he may have a different plan than you do. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10, and this is where we'll leave this off today. Paul is writing, and he says, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. What that thorn in the flesh was has been debated down through the years. It was a physical malady, a physical problem that Paul had. Many believe it was poor eyesight uh, because there, there's reasons, there's evidence for that. But whatever it is, it was something that Paul struggled with. It was something he had difficulty with. Not just because it was a physical problem, but because it hindered him. It limited him. And it frustrated him. And he didn't like it. So here's what he did. He said, a message of Satan was sent to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. Paul, the apostle, the one who Jesus used to write two-thirds of the New Testament. One of, the, one of the strongest parts of the foundation and pillar of the pillars of our faith. Went to God and said, please heal me from this. And God said, no. <laughs> and this is what he said in response, what, what Jesus said to Paul. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Whew. Paul said, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can you say that about everything we've talked about this morning in your life. When I am weak, I am strong. Because when I am weak, I am allowing the power of God to flow through me and to use me and to change me and to work in me and to cause me to see my flaws and to see my faults and to cause me to get under control my temper and my attitude and my mouth and to cause me to see things the way God sees them. And it caused me to get rid of the guilt of feeling horrible about the choices my adult child has made. And it caused me to be willing to get up and make breakfast for that little terror who hates everything I do. And as God, God has blessed me to find a doctor who can tell me what's wrong and how to help. Listen, folks, there are a lot of issues we face today that are practical and that we struggle with in our lives, but the Bible has the answers for. And I hope this morning we covered some of them and it will be helpful to you. Would you bow your head in prayer? Father, thank you <laughs> for the privilege of being here today. Lord, thank you for, uh, God, we even thank you for the rain. We've had a lot of it. From my perspective, we've had enough, but we thank you for it because we had drought for so long. Lord, we've talked about a lot of things this morning that are, I believe are very relevant to families today. 
very relative, relevant to individuals today. And I pray for those who heard this, for those who will hear it, Father, that it will find its way into their heart, into their spirit, and cause them to feel and understand your truth and your word. And may it be life-changing and life-challenging. Meet us at our need, Father. Lord, we pray for Christy right now and Luca. Father, we thank you for the life that we were, had experienced with Vicki Colwell. Lord, thank you for bringing her into Melvin Edwards' life so that Melvin could invite her to our church and she could make such a difference in the lives of so many. Father, would you heal Christy and Luca's grieving hearts right now? May we as a church not end our association, but just redouble our efforts to let them know they're loved. And would you heal our grieving hearts? Lord, your word tells us we don't grieve as those who have no hope because we believe we'll see Vicki again. But it's still tough. Help us through it. We pray for Pam McNally right now. Be her peace, be her comfort, be her portion. Be her healer. Bless us as we go from this place today, Father. May our lives honor you in every aspect and every way. For it's in your name we pray all these things. Amen.